Welcome to the Nutrition Lifestyles Podcast. I'm Kim. And I'm Joanne. And here on the podcast, Joanne and I are very concerned about all things related to health and wellness, which you guys should know by now. To be honest, right now, the emergency rooms are booming with cases of the COVID-19. But I've personally known some people who have fallen and broken a hip or experienced chest pain and are afraid to go to the ER because of the pandemic. That is so true. I, I too have known a few people who have been afraid to go to the ER as well. So today on the podcast, we have a lot of questions to ask related to ER versus urgent care, why food and nutrition is an important part of overall wellness that should not be overlooked, and an emergency doctor's perspective on conventional and alternative things you can do to improve your health. As one of the nation's acclaimed emergency room physicians, Dr. Stephanie Burgos is also a best-selling author, a wellness and mindset coach, a breathwork facilitator, a speaker, and a social influencer. Dr. Stephanie works with women who feel frustrated in their body and burnt out in life and helps them drop all the excuses, feel good in their body, and wake up to the confident women inside of them. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Stephanie. We're happy to have you. Welcome. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> so our audience can get to know you just a little bit more. We want you to tell us a little bit about yourself, like what you do, why you got into emergency medicine, and also a fun fact. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Dr. Stephanie Burgos, and I am actually originally from New York City. I grew up in the Bronx, and I am currently in Orlando, Florida, and I am an emergency medicine physician. So I actually knew ever since I was a little girl that I wanted to be a doctor. Since I was like seven years old, I was that little girl who was playing with her dolls and like setting up with her clipboard in her house (laughs) and like always knew I was going to be a doctor. And I said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. And I spent all of my life pursuing that goal. I didn't know I would be doing emergency medicine. I actually thought I would, I was going to do OBGYN. I thought I was going to get into women's health, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. until kind of at the last minute during my fourth year of medical school that I was like, you know what? Something didn't feel right about going into OBGYN and something didn't feel right about going into a surgical specialty. And I'm someone that is very Mm -hmm. intuitive. And I was just like, you know, something doesn't feel right in my spirit here. I feel really afraid about the future. And so Mm. I made a decision at the last minute to pivot into emergency medicine. And I matched in emergency medicine. I've been practicing emergency medicine now for about five years uh, here in, in Central Florida. And so I do that. I also have an online business in wellness where I help men and women with weight loss, where I help them really to um, really uncover their self-worth and really build up their self-confidence through self-care practices. And then I also do breathwork facilitation and energy medicine. So I wear a lot of hats. <laughs> and so there's, I have lots of different just types of interest. And so, so it's really, it's really amazing. I like to stay, I, I always tell people, follow your curiosities because that's what I've done in my life. Anything that I'm curious about, I pursue and anything that brings me joy, I pursue. Nice. A fun fact I would say is that I'm married to a dancer <laughs> and he is amazing, an amazing dancer. And so he helps to keep things light and fun uh, about, you know, for me, especially someone who comes from 
a more scientific, more kind of serious background to have someone that's more in the creative space is, is something that's fun and adds so much to my life. Nice. I have to say, guys, for those of you that are listening to this, when I came across your Instagram channel, Dr. Stephanie, you were doing a workout and you were dancing. And I'm like, who is this girl with all these moves? Like you were really getting into it. So yes. I would definitely mm-hmm. say, you know, you make your your exercises very fun for your audience, you know, from yes. a holistic perspective. So that is what attracted me to you. I was like, I have to try this. I Yeah, I, I, I promote like daily dance parties that basically I really believe it's important for us to really build up our energy every single day. And at the end of the day, I always tell people, you know, you are the one that's in control of your energy. And sometimes that means in the morning to have a little dance party. If your energy is, is dipping low in the middle of the day, get up, move your body, have a, you know, have a dance party, put on your favorite song, move your body with your family, by yourself, with your children, and you will see your mood, you know, your mood get lifted. And so that's what you're seeing is I'm always doing dance parties and promoting dance parties Mm -hmm. on social media. (laughs) What kind of dance does your husband do? So he is actually a salsa dancer. So he's a salsa dancer. Uh. My my husband is is African and we actually met in Spain. So it's like crazy. It's like... Uh. We met in Spain <laughs> and he is a salsa dancer and he's also trained in ballroom. And so, but his passion is in the Latin dances, I would say. You know, what's interesting is that you're in Central Florida. So I grew up in Orlando, Florida. Really? And mm-hmm, I did. And when I was in my teen years, you know, when I still thought that I was going to medical school and I was pre-med in college, I was, and then I switched it up. Um, and went to um, dietetics at the end there. But I was, you know, going to different hospitals to try to get some kind of, you know, experience so I could put on my applications and whatnot. And I worked at the emergency room. That was like one of my first hands-on, air quotes there when I say hands-on, experience in uh, like the medical (laughs) field. So I saw a lot at the hospital that happened. So I want you to tell the people um, like food items that have ended up in the wrong places, like places that they should not be stories that you've seen. So stories that I've seen. So, you know, believe it or not, I haven't seen too much with food. So I will say that. Yeah, no, I, I, we don't see a lot with food or at least I haven't. We actually just see really weird objects <laughs> and really weird. <laughs> so I'll give an example. I remember one time uh, a patient came in and they had a very large crayon, a thick, like a big, like almost look at your face, like a, like a crayon that, you know, that you would probably use to like draw on concrete, like one of those concrete type crayons. And they had stuck it up their butt oh my and they, it was just like a pointy. And I remember having to do the examination and I just remember doing the examination and just telling the gentleman, I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Like what, like you're going to have to go to surgery for this to get this out because it was just so up in there. And, and we've seen that we've seen, you know, circular objects, little small balls, you know, inside of women's vaginas, inside of, you know, we see all types of things in the vaginas and in the rectums in the, it's like people (laughs) like to stick things up. So (laughs) food, it's more just like really Really? objects that are small for you to stick in there. Yeah, that is really strange. I have a friend who's a nurse practitioner 
And she was telling me one time, like, you know, related to foreign things and body orifices, she was saying that there was chicken. Chicken. Yeah, like (laughs) edible chicken was stuck in this lady's private parts. Wow. And she she's also in the ER and she was like, well, what in the world is going on here? So I like mean like cooked chicken? Cooked chicken. Cooked chicken. <laughs> that it is just- crazy. Let me tell you in the ER, there is nothing, nothing that surprises me. You there's nothing like you there's nothing that would surprise me at this point in my life. So that was our icebreaker question, but more mm-hmm. on a serious note, like what is the difference? Because you know, a lot of people are wondering, especially with you know the climate that we're living in with the COVID-19, the pandemic. So what is the difference between urgent cares and emergency rooms? Yeah. So pretty mm-hmm. much the way I like to think about it is that, you know. Your emergency room is where you're going to see the capability of having your life-saving activities that can happen. So anytime someone, you know, has anything that is, you know, dangerous or or life-threatening, you're going to want to go to an emergency room. And most emergency rooms are going to have more personnel. They're going to have more resources. They're going to have more um, x-ray, you know, like x-rays and CAT scans and MRIs, a lot of the emergency rooms. Uh, and it also depends too, because you have emergency rooms that are freestanding, which is where, mm-hmm. you know, that's become a lot more popular, especially nowadays. And then you have emergency rooms that are actually within the within the hospital. So they're attached to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'll just talk a little bit about that because I think that's also important. You know, what's the, a freestanding? Pretty much a freestanding and a regular emergency room that's attached to the hospital can do the same thing. Usually the only mm. thing is that they don't have, a lot of times there's no MRI machine in the freestanding because that's just equipment that we don't have. But we can take okay. care of any emergency in a freestanding emergency room, Mm. you know, and they're always staffed by emergency trained uh, professionals and nurses. So that is, that's that. So the emergency room and then the freestanding emergency room and urgent care. I, you know, urgent care, especially nowadays, a lot of people go to urgent care for a lot of primary care issues Mm -hmm. is what I see, Mm -hmm. but but an urgent care is not going to have the capability to take care of those life-threatening conditions. And a lot of them are not going to have a lot of radiographic um, equipment there. They may have an x-ray, but that's not always, you know, the case. And a lot of times they're going to be limited into what they can take care of you, you know, for. So like they're the type of, like you would go there maybe if you have a sore throat or you have a small cut, you know, somewhere in your body, on your finger or on your arm, or you're like very small, nothing, you know, or let's say you have some belly pain that just is a little mild and maybe you want to get it checked out. So you may go to the urgent care. And so a lot of times it has a lot to do with the severity of your symptoms. And so if you have really severe pain, if you have something that's life threatening, if you're having an allergic reaction, if you're having chest pain, if you're having Mm -hmm. difficulty breathing, a lot of these more life threatening, I would always say go to the emergency room because they're going to have more uh, personnel there and more equipment there that's going to be able to, you know, help you uh, to, it's going to help you take care of you better. Interesting. You know, as a mom, and I have four boys at that, I'm always thinking like, okay, if certain situations happen, when do I go to the emergency room and when do I go to urgent care? I feel like if I see blood, we're heading to the emergency room for sure. Right. So are there like ABCs of 
this is when you go to the ER versus this is when you go to the emergency, the urgent care. Okay. Yeah. So I would say for like a sore throat and ear pain, you know, definitely you can get that taken care of at the urgent care. If it's a small little tiny, like a small cut on the finger, you know, if there's any type of wound, you know, you know, wash it, look at it if you're able to. Cause a lot of times, especially like on the fingers and toes and knees, the, it can bleed very heavily, but it's a very small cut. And so a lot of times you just have to kind of put it underwater, you know, or just wash it real quick, look at it. And if it's really small, you could probably go to an urgent care and they'll be able to, you know, repair it. But anytime that there's like larger cuts, you know, maybe the, you know, much like the size of your finger, like larger cuts or deeper cuts or anything where there's a broken bone or anytime that you might be, you know, I think I always tell people anything related to kind of like any heart issues or any trouble breathing, any type of allergic reaction, allergic reactions should go to the emergency room just because you don't know how it's going to progress. So if, if you start having like, a, if, if your child starts having like a rash and they start looking flush, you know, they start looking just kind of pale or, you know, definitely send them, you know, get call 911, get them to the emergency room because they're having an allergic reaction. So I think for children, a lot of times it's allergic reactions, it's trouble breathing. That's what we see in terms of um, high, you know, really high fevers that are not, you know, getting better with either Tylenol or ibuprofen, you know, depending on their age. So those are all reasons, you know, to kind of, Go to the emergency room if it's not if you're not able to take care of it at home. Right, right, mm. and you know gotcha. everything that you're saying, Doctor Stephanie, has me thinking. You know about mm-hmm. you know individuals in your profession that are trained in emergency medicine, and it is I'm throwing a curveball in here. It's without a shadow of doubt, you know, because I'm looking at you. You are a woman of color. Your husband is a man of color. So I don't know where you worked before Orlando, but, you know, Orlando is kind of like, you know, a melting pot. Have you seen mm-hmm. any type of health disparities when it comes to people of color, like their emergency room length of stay or the treatment that they have gotten? And the reason why I ask this question is because there are like, for instance, my father, my father, he falls off the ladder numerous times. He's in his 60s and I'm like, dad, go to the emergency room. Oh, no, I'm not going there. You know, and he just has like this preconceived notion about the care that he's going to receive if I'm not present because I'm more of like a vocal, I don't want to say aggressive, but for lack of better words, I'm going to use that. I'm aggressive when it comes to my parents and their health because they're older. Right. Right. So like, have you seen any type of unfair, unbiased? I would I would say in terms of like personally and within, you know, what I've seen, Mm -hmm. because I, again, like you, like you expressed, I grew up, I mean, working here in central Florida, and then also I trained up in Boston. Mm -hmm. So it was always a very, you know, diverse patient population. And even here, I take care of a, I work in, in an area that's very incredibly diverse um, with nice. Latinos and African Americans and Caribbean, you know, immigrants that have come over from the Caribbean. So I am fortunate to work, you know, amongst other people of color. And so as a result, I haven't seen in our emergency rooms, the ones that I have worked on, you know, worked in, because at the end of the day, you know, when someone comes into the emergency room, at least, you know, in my experience, 
it's always, you know, we triage people based on their symptoms and their, right. you know, and the severity of their symptoms. And I always tell people, right. especially when it is bit getting busy in the emergency room and let's say someone is waiting a little bit longer, I always, you know, uh, you know, let them know. I'm like, if we're not running into your room, you know, right away, as soon as you get there, that's a good thing. So just, you know, if, if you're kind of, you know, if it's, if, if you're waiting, cause a lot of times, especially nowadays, we don't want, you know, as providers, we want to get our patients, you know, in and out as quickly as possible. You know, we're not trying to take up your whole day if it's not necessary, you know, to be in the emergency room. So it's always, you know, we're always working really hard as professionals and as overall healthcare systems to really, you know, get you seen, get you evaluated, see what tests or anything, you know, see what you need, and then get you, you know, home so that you can get through rather quickly. So anytime that people are waiting for a long time or they, you know, it's usually because literally we're really busy or there's just a lot of people and there's not as much staff. However, I will say when I've seen it with, within people of color or just in general, just in, you know, lower income populations is like you described, like this fear of going to the doctor mm-hmm. and this right. fear of, you know, not not getting seen. And then as a result, they have high blood pressure that is not controlled right. or, you know, diabetes that should really be, they should be taking medications, but they haven't been going to the doctor. Right. Or mm-hmm. I see a lot of, well, I'm supposed to be on blood pressure medications, but now my blood pressure is better. So I stopped taking the blood pressure medication. Right. And then I'm like, well, no, your blood pressure got better because you were taking the blood pressure medications the med- right. and you're not supposed to stop them. Um, so that's more so what I see is just, you know, there's a, there's still that the white coat, you know, the white, the fear of the white coat, right. the fear of going mm-hmm. into the doctor. And, you know, I think that is more prevalent, if anything, in terms of why, you know, some people wait to get care. And mm-hmm. then some people just they're not they don't want to they don't want to share when they're in pain with their family, when they're sick. You know, I've seen people hide things, especially even like I've seen even with my own father, like I hear about things and I'm, you know, I'm a doctor and I, and I hear about things, you know, after the fact. And I'm just like, why didn't you tell me, you know? And, and it's like, oh, I didn't want to worry you. And it's that kind of mindset of not wanting to, not wanting their family members to be worried. Right, right. Which I mean, is definitely true. I also think another issue with it, you know, that white coat syndrome, Mm -hmm. when individuals see Mm -hmm. people in white coats, like, I think maybe it could be the generation as well, like the baby boomers, because I know millennials were like questioning everything, like what's going on here. But I know I that's true. I saw a patient. And I don't know how we got in this topic, but they're like, yeah, I'm on Lasix. And then another doctor gave me furosemide. And I'm just looking mm-hmm. like, they're the same, the same thing. thing. Yeah. The they're same the thing. same <laughs> thing. So I'm just like, okay, well, you know, when your doctor comes in, make sure that you tell them that. Because I'm like, what's, what's going on here? Your potassium level is really right. low. Right, <laughs> you know, right, right. So I think, yeah, that definitely that education piece and, you know, just letting individuals know that doctors are human. I, I mean, that's why I just love you so much because you're like mad chill. Like <laughs> doctors are human, <laughs> they're approachable. Ask them questions. They'll be happy to answer. And I think you're right. Like the older generations, the questioning authority, they don't, you know, they, they, it's not in their norm to question authority. Nope. And so they just kind of, I'll get a lot of my older patients and they don't know why they're on medic, you know, why they're on these medications or they're just like, well, the doctor just told me to do that. And I, and, but, but my younger patients are 
much more of a of an advocate for themselves. And so they're they're mm-hmm. much more willing to question, you know, why do I need to be on this medication? Can you help me understand, you know, mm-hmm. why this is necessary? And then they're always asking mm-hmm. questions if they're getting started on a new medication, you know, how is this going to, you know, conflict with what I have now? Is there gonna is there gonna be any adverse reaction? So I think the younger, you know, the younger generations are definitely much more are much better at advocating for themselves. And like you said, at the end of the day, we as healthcare professionals, we're human, you know, we're, we're, we are human just as much as you are. So, you know, I really, I really think that, um, you know, we were talking about black folks and people with lower socioeconomic statuses, um, being afraid of going to the doctor and, you know, they don't have insurance. Um, but overall, you know, the black community were afraid of going to the doctor. And I'm thinking of stories in my head now of when I was a kid and I really didn't start going to the doctor regularly, probably until my teenage years. Um, but I remember like my brother running because he used to like to run looking backwards. I don't know why, but that's what that was his thing. So when he turned forward, he was like bumping his head into things. I remember one time he got a, a brand stuck in his eye. Oh and we goodness. just pulled it right out. Oh Nobody went to the gosh. doctor or the emergency room. <laughs> kidding me. <laughs> oh my goodness. So yeah, I can see, I can see, I mean, people, emergency room, doctors, whatever, black folks, we, we're not really that keen to go into these places. We're really not. So I'm, I'm also thinking to myself how when I was pregnant, I, um, I was in a car accident and the, they were like, are you okay, ma'am? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm good. Do you want to go to the emergency room? They took all my vitals and stuff on scene. And they were like, you know, it's up to you. We don't see any reason why you need to go to the emergency room. And I was like, mm, I feel like emergency rooms are just for emergencies. So I think I'm just going to wait until Monday to go see my OB. So that's my question to you. Has emergency medicine become just for emergencies like don't come to the emergency room if you're like, you know, something that's not, uh, I guess, signs of fatality is occurring, like it's really an emergency. That's a really great question. And I will say, especially with the current climate and everything that's happened with the pandemic and how things have changed and how. And so prior to the pandemic and prior to, to that happening, I would say there was an overuse of the emergency room and, you know, Mm -hmm. where people were literally, we, you know, people were coming to us as primary care a lot of times and, you know, coming to us for, you know, for medication refills and coming to us, you know, at, in in the middle of the, in the middle of the night for tooth pain, you know, and it's, and, and, you know, things that possibly could wait to be seen, you know, either by an urgent care doctor or by your primary care doctor and so there was an overuse of the emergency room. Now come COVID and the pandemic and nobody was coming to the emergency room in certain areas right. unless, you know, at, at, which is, you know, at the end of the day, there was a fear and, and nobody wanted to, you know, we were trying to leave space for when people were having the symptoms of, of COVID. But what we've seen now, so what I would say is now we're seeing people who do show up and they've waited too long to come to the emergency room. Mm. You know, maybe they've had chest pain that's been going on for 
a couple weeks or, you know, a, you know, a couple days. Cause I always tell people, especially if you're over 50 years old, if you're having chest pain, a lot of times you should go and get checked out if you're having chest pain, cause it's not normal mm. to have chest pain. Right. And just like shortness of breath is not normal. If all of a sudden you start feeling short of breath and winded, you know, very regularly, that's not normal. You should go, you know, you should go have it evaluated and, and just be sure that you're okay. Um, so I would say, you know, it's, it's not an easy question to answer, but I will say that in the past there mm-hmm. was an overuse of using the emergency room for not emergencies or not things that, you know, need to be seen right away. I kind of think like, do you need to be seen, you know, within the next, you know, within 24 hours, you know, 40, 48 hours, just to kind of evaluate and make sure that, that, there's not, that nothing is wrong, then I would say go to the ER because, you know, that you're going to get better care by going to the ER. Do you see um, things picking back up in the ER now that we're in June? We're what, like three months into this pandemic? Are things picking back up? Are people less afraid of, of going to the hospitals? So what ended up happening is that a lot of the major, the, the, the cities that were hit hard, New York City, you know, DC, uh, New York City, Seattle or two that come to mind, New Orleans, you know, that come to mind of like cities that were hit really hard they were hit really hard. And I think, I really believe they got like, they, they scared the rest of us and they scared the rest of the USA and everywhere else to just really kind of like stop and pause. So actually here in Central Florida, we were fortunate that we didn't get hit as hard. Mm-hmm. Um, however, we are starting to see now a rise in cases and we are starting to see things get busy right now Mm -hmm. and we're also opening up a little bit fast you know we are opening up like disney's gonna open up in a Mm -hmm. couple weeks universal has opened up sea world has opened up and so it'll be interesting to see in the next couple weeks how things are going to be here in central florida for florida miami area was where it had gotten hit really hard you know Mm -hmm. when it was all happening so i i I'm waiting to see, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the next few, you know, what the next few weeks are going to be like around the country, you know, as things start opening up. But yes, the ERs are definitely getting busy again. Absolutely. Right. And I know that's true because even in my little rural town, I'm probably like an hour and a half south of you. I, we are seeing cases left and right with, you know, COVID positive patients. So I can just imagine like, Orlando is more of a metropolitan area. So the issue is a lot of hospitals, when we were not seeing the volume of patients come in, they start, they, they were cutting staff. Right. And so as you got, you know, so they've cut staff. So now we are working, you know, in a bare bones situation, you know, where we don't have an, we don't have the same amount of staffing that we had prior to COVID and now we're going to start getting this resurgence of, you know, patients coming in. And in my opinion, that's when things, you know, things become unsafe, mm-hmm. you know, things become unsafe right. because, you know, we get overwhelmed as a system. And at the end of the day, we as professionals, we as, as healthcare professionals working in the ER under a high stress environment, we're human. And if mm-hmm. we're not, we don't have the proper resources if we don't have the proper staff, we, you know, that's where mistakes can happen. And that, and, and it's not right. for a lot, it's just literally just an overstimulation and an overwhelm of the system. So my hope is that as we start seeing more patients, that administration will, you know, really allow, you know, staffing, you know, will really increase the staffing quicker than they have, you know, in the past. Mm-hmm. 
You know, and I love the fact that you right. said that, you know, you guys are, and I mean, even I would say the hospital at, as a mm-hmm. whole, but I know like the ER is the front doors of this whole entire issue. Absolutely. And I love the fact mm-hmm. that you said, you know, you guys are functioning under a stressful environment, you're short staffed. And I know earlier offline, Dr. Stephanie, you were telling me that, you know, even though you are an emergency room medicine practitioner, that you also focus on like the holistic person, you know, so it's not just, yeah, it's not just, okay, yeah, take this medication, take that medication, et cetera, et cetera. So something that I wanted to ask you is what's one thing you wished people knew about emergency medicine as it relates to health, wellness, food, and nutrition? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how often I, you know, the, the, a lot of the symptoms that people come into the ER with, you know, whether it's belly pain, rashes, you know, all types of belly pain. So not just the like lower belly pain, bloating, you know, upper belly pain, acid reflux, a lot of conditions that we see in the ER that people come, especially things that have been around for a long time, a lot of it can be prevented with a healthy diet, healthy nutrition, you know, healthy movement in the body. And so for me, I'm always educating as best as I can, you know, telling patients, you know, at the end of the day, especially people who come in with like skin condition and skin conditions, or especially a lot of GI complaints, because I feel like as a whole, our society has a lot of gut issues. And we, and it's mm-hmm. all related to, oh, like, yes. well, I'm talking to you guys. So it's all related to nutrition. It's right. all <laughs> we're eating, as you guys know. And I'm always just trying to do my best, especially because I do work in a lot of underserved population, like just trying to educate them and say, you know what, I, this, this, this medication is literally just a bandaid. I, and, and, and like, yes. it's unpopular, but I'm just like, I'm telling you what you need to do is you need to go on an elimination cleanse. You need to, you know, gluten, you need to eliminate sugars. You need to, you know, really try this out for a good three, four weeks, you know, of, of really removing these, you know, these food groups and then see how your body feels. And so I think, I, I think I just really want people to know that, you know, your nutrition is so incredibly important when it comes to Mm -hmm. prevention and when it comes to health and what you're, what you're fueling your body with. I, I love gut health. And it's so, it's crazy because I, I, the way I thought or the way I think now is so different than how I thought um, maybe 10 years ago after I contracted H. pylori, like my mind, you know, changed, you know, how you're taught in school and you know, how they tell you this is this and you treat it with that. You don't, you know, no one says go to food to treat, you know, or eliminate or this and whatnot. And now that I'm in gut health and, you know, I work a lot with clients on my private practice side, when I go into clinical settings and I'm seeing the different conditions, I'm like, man, I wish you were a client. I could fix this right up so quickly. This medication that they're giving you is probably going to take away that symptom, but it's going to cause 10 more symptoms. Like, I, I, I think about that all the time. Right. But I'm always, um, I guess the question I have for you, because it's something that I've come across as being um, a medical professional, is that people don't have the same views as I do when it comes to holistic nutrition. So do you come, do you find that you're butting heads as someone who was trained on westernized medicine with now your holistic views? Like, do you find the the people coming at you like what what are you what are you what are you talking about? Oh, it's interesting. I I don't 
find as many people, you know, who, who come at me and, and who are just kind of in disagreement. And I think it's just because of how unhealthy our country is and how unhealthy people are. Like, I think we have to think mm -hmm. differently. We cannot think the right. way we've been trained. And I was actually talking to a friend of mine today who has cancer and she's another mm -hmm. physician and she's, mm. a, she's around my age. And we were just talking, I said, you know, what are you eating? You know, are you doing wheatgrass? Are you do, I said, you, right. are you doing organic plant, you know, plant-based, you know, nutrition. Right. And she was just like, you know, it's so interesting. I learned nothing about nutrition in Western medicine. And she was saying, you know, I, I love my oncologist, but she, you know, when I asked her what I should be eating, she didn't give me any education on, mm -hmm. you know, plants or anything. She just told me whatever you can keep down. And, you know, right. it, wasn't, it wasn't any education on, you know, the power of, you know, green plants and the power of, you know, reducing the sugars and, you know, for can for, right. for beating cancer and things like that. So I think I know in my heart that we need to think differently. And I know, you mm -hmm. know, especially when it comes to holistic medicine and Eastern medicine, you know, you know, modal, you know, ways of thinking and, and therapies that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. Yes. And I feel like in Western medicine, what we've done is we've swung to, you know, if, if we're looking at a pendulum, we swung, it's not, it's not one way or, and it's not one way on one side or one way towards the other side. If there's a balance. And I think, right. I think Western medicine is really good for like trauma. I think West, like if, if, like if I'm, if I, I have a gunshot or if I have something cut off, take me to a surgeon, take me to you right. know, Western medicine mm -hmm. to help me, you know, fix this, or at least, you know, to help me start repairing this and, and getting better. But when I feel like when it comes to a lot of chronic conditions, I really do think we need to look more towards holistic medicine. Mm. And I myself have the more education that I've gotten on my own, it's all about my own personal education, my own personal reading, and just out of my own curiosity. Mm -hmm. But the more that I, you know, kind of lean more towards holistic medicine, whether it's nutrition wise, or whether it's even like energy medicine, and just, you know, things like breath work and ways to to really other modalities of healing the body. I do, I do find even myself misaligned at times in clinical medicine as a Western doc. Mm -hmm. It's actually one of the main reasons why I'm starting to pivot and shift in my life because I don't think right. this is where I'm meant to be anymore as much anymore. Right. You know, I think I really need to, I really think I need to be a pillar over here and be a voice over here because this is where I think mm -hmm. the future is. Right. Yeah. I love the fact that you said, you know, that a lot of doctors don't know much about food and nutrition. And that's yeah. why I think it's so unpopular. That's why I think that dietitians aren't given the respect that Western doctors like yourself, you know, that has gone through like the formal education, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Because it's not popular. Like right. pharmacy, mm -hmm. pharmaceutical medications, pharmaceutical drugs, these <laughs> big conglomerate companies that are making money, they're popular. Like while we're out here teaching prevention, prevention, prevention. Prevention, unfortunately, makes no money in the healthcare system. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, I agree with you 100% because yeah. food is medicine, you know, food is medicine, food is prevention. It is. And right. I wish, I wish, you know, because of course, if people, if, if we, if I wish people could have more ex access to, you know, more education on nutrition. Because that is really what is going to change the health, you know, that, that knowledge and that education 
as well as then, you know, resources and being able to access good quality foods. That's a, you know, that's a whole other issue, you know, in terms of access mm-hmm. to, to quality food. Right. I agree. I agree. So I wanted to know, and I'm pretty sure other people wanted to know too, what do you, I know you said, you know, you're a dancer, you exercise. Um, mm-hmm. I probably need to take a class from your husband mm-hmm. because I have two left feet. <laughs> But me too. What, what do you do to maintain your personal health and wellness? I know you spoke mm-hmm. about, you know, realigning yourself and you spoke about breath work and your exercising. Um, let us know about your eating habits. What did that look yeah. like? We're not going to judge you. We're not. No. It's a safe space. <laughs> so I, I like to practice kind of like an 80-20 rule. So 80% of the time I am eating very clean, very, you know, no process, more plant-based. If I do eat any animal protein there, it's organic, it's grass fed. I don't eat as much animal as I've gotten older. For some reason, I don't want as much animal protein and I I like to eat more plant-based proteins, but Mm -hmm. on, you know, occasionally, especially if I go to a nice restaurant, if I'm, you know, treating myself, I will treat myself to certain foods or treats that I eat. But as I've gotten older too, and as and as I've, as I've grown to understand what foods make me feel good and fuel me well, you know, I've spent a lot, I've spent the last, you know, seven years building a relationship with myself and food and understanding what foods don't sit well with me. Mm. So I now make healthier choices by default because there are certain foods that are not worth how I'm going to feel tomorrow morning or in a couple hours from eating them. And then as a result, I'm able to make healthier food choices because I now have made that connection between how I'm feeling and what I just ate. And so, so for me, I practice an 80, 20. I love to, I love, I'm, I'm a big foodie. I love to go to a great restaurant and I love to treat myself. Me and, you know, my husband and I, we love to go out to eat. We love sushi. We love, you know, a good brick oven pizza. (laughs) That's what we, you know, we, I don't drink uh, alcohol. I don't drink a lot of alcohol. If I do, it's a glass of wine, very, very sparingly. But I've always been like that mm-hmm. since college. I never was someone who was into, you know, drinking alcohol. I did have to get over my sweet tooth. So that has been, I'm someone who loves ice cream and, and yes. sweets. However, sugar really, sugar is a depressant for me. So I don't know if you've heard that before, like, but it really, you know, it really like if I have a sugar binge and that's why I don't have it as much anymore. But if I have a sugar binge, I will wake up the next morning so tired, like literally feeling down, feeling like very little motivation. It's incredible to me, like how, how great an effect sugar has, at least for me, Mm -hmm. you know, and how, and how it can make me feel. But I would say I'm really mindful of my nutrition. I really try to fuel my body in a way that's going to make me feel good. And I'm always looking at ways to have natural energy. In regards to just like overall balance, I, I meditate. I, I do try to spend like the first you know, hour of my goal and what I'm working towards even now is spending that first hour just with myself and doing, you know, it's that first hour when I wake up and just really using that time to really align myself, ground myself, make sure... I'm doing either some quiet time, some journaling, meditation, uh, exercise in that time as well. And then just allowing time for rest. I know for me, for some reason, I, it was hard for me to rest. It was hard for me to rest. And I think there was a, a, a subconscious programming that, that I just mm-hmm. kind of came about more recently because it was like, 
I grew up hearing, you know, in order, in order for you to have success, you need to work hard or in order for you to make mm-hmm. money, you have to work hard. So then as a, mm-hmm. as a, as a, in a way that in my, in my subconscious, it's almost like if you're, if you're resting, there's an element of laziness, which is an element mm-hmm. of you're not working hard, which is an element mm-hmm. of like, you're not going to be able to make money and you're not going to be successful. <laughs> so I've had to re- unprogram that and repro- I should right. say reprogram all of that. And just really, just really allowing more rest, more, you know, doing things that are relaxing, taking a bath, you know, just taking a nap, you know, so that's, those are things that I do in my life to try to stay balanced. I love it. And you know, you said something that's so important that people don't realize is that your body speaks to you. Your body tells you when you are consuming something it doesn't like, when you should stop consuming that thing. Or when you need something more, more of something. And, you know, I feel like people, I guess the symptoms that they've had over the years have become so much their new normal that they don't, they just overlook their body speaking to them. Like if you're eating a whole bunch of sugar at one time and the next morning you wake up, you're sluggish or you got a headache and yada, 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 that's your body telling you to stop doing that. But People, it just becomes their new normal and they're like, uh, you know, that's just how my body gets. And then they just move on. It's, it's crazy. I'll, I'll say this as kind of the last kind of some of the last stuff is that I always tell people your body is your greatest compass in life. Mm-hmm. And in all ways, I agree. you know, in terms of nutrition, in terms of decisions you should be making, in terms of like your body tells you. It's just a matter of, are you listening and have you built Mm -hmm. that emotional, like intuition, like, have you built that intuition? Have you strengthened that muscle of intuition, which we all have, have you strengthened Mm -hmm. that enough so that when you, so that when those cues come from your body, because they don't come loud and clear all the time, Mm -hmm. subtle ways, are you then able to, you know, feel them and hear them? Well, Dr. Stephanie, you have given us so much information today, and I enjoyed having you on the podcast. (laughs) I learned a lot. So let the people know who are listening where they can find you on social media. Absolutely. Yeah, you can come and find me over on Instagram at HealthyERDoc, and you can also check out my website, HealthyERDoc.com. And so you can find me also on Facebook, HealthyERDoc. You can find me that way as well. So very easy to find. I'm always over on social media dancing and sharing and sharing sharing joy and inspiration well everyone you heard it from dr stephanie today the differences between going to the emergency room and going to the urgent care one key point i would say is don't be afraid to go to the doctor if you feel the symptom and you feel the pain don't wait last minute until it may be too late to go see a doctor or the emergency room Please let everyone know about Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. Tell your friend to tell their friends so that they can listen to us. Make sure to give us a five on our ratings and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.